The Action Network podcast is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a brand new sign-up offer for our listeners. Bet $1 on any team and win $100 if that team scores a touchdown. That's right. All you have to do is open a new WinBet account, deposit $20 or more, and bet $1 on any team within your first 10 days. If that team scores a touchdown, you win $100. So if you haven't signed up for a WinBet account yet, take advantage of this offer today by clicking on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Know when to stop before you start. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's start the show. All right, here we go. Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus Sources Edition presented by WinBet. This is the BBOC podcast that ties Big J journalism to Big Bets. I am Action Network senior writer Colin Wilson, a guy that loves to bet San Diego State overs. My co-host is the award-winning, news-breaking Action Network's own Brett McMurphy. First reported by our own Brett McMurphy. Brett McMurphy is Sources. Brett. What's your takeaway from this lackluster week eight slate that still had some teams in the top 25 losing some really bad play by, you know, some of the top five teams. What's your takeaway? If you're keeping track of this and I had to, I had to ask a couple of buddies to make sure I had the right number. We're up to 52 ranked teams that have lost this year. And we just got through week nine. So myself and my co-voters in the associated press poll, we must suck at ranking teams they have 52 ranked teams lose this early. Obviously, some of those are head-to-head, so you can't count those really. And then also, uh, you know, we're getting close to that time where people start kind of jockeying for bowl position. Third, we've got 82. We need 82 teams to fill out the bowl. Massive bowl schedule. As of right now, we've got 30 teams that are bowl eligible. And one more number to throw by is number six. That's how many coaches have been fired. We're not even to Halloween, Colin. And I think we could end up with three times that many coaches getting fired by the end of the season. It will be a fascinating time because coming off COVID, I think a lot of schools that may have made the move last year will make the move this year. It's it's interesting you say that because as a you know as a what what are we five minutes into the podcast as a guy that's an Arkansas alum, woo pig suey. Nobody thought that you could fire a coach after two years. You got to give the coach three years, get his own recruits in there, give him four years, get his own recruits in there. That's that was the thinking when Bielema was around, and then with Chad Morris, two years gone. So is, is that the new standard now? Like give me in two years, you don't even have to wait for your recruits or, cause I mean, Chad Morris wasn't the only one. There are other two-year coaches that got fired. I think what LSU is doing, which they learned their lesson with less miles. It is the <laughs> fire the coach before they can win to save their job strategy. <laughs> Used to nut strategy invented that. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got, you got personal experience there. So that's what LSU did because, you know, look, 
Coach O beat Florida. They lost to Ole Miss. They've got Alabama in two weeks. If he beats Alabama, how you know how would you make a legitimate claim to fire him? You really can't. So you do it before they can <laughs> they can get any kind of momentum going. And I think that's what uh, Texas Tech did today. They Texas Tech announced that that Matt Wells would be fired immediately. Uh, I know we'll talk about that a little bit later. But I think they they also went through the same strategy there. You know, they're five and five and three right now. They need one win to get to a ball game. But you look at their last four games at Oklahoma, Iowa State, Oklahoma State at Baylor, basically four ranked teams. If he goes two and two and gets seven wins and beats two ranked teams, you'd be hard pressed to fire him. So certainly they wanted to make the change now before he could get some momentum. They, you know, they lose a heartbreaker against Kansas State last week. There may be some other things going on behind the scenes there. Who knows? But because they're they play OU this week, then they're off next week. Usually you fire somebody during a bye week, not the, you know, the week of a game. So, you know, I'll, I'll have to check out and see what's going on there. But um, yeah, Colin, we're, there's a new strategy. And I think part of it's because the early signing day involving right. college football now, it's now in December. It used to be not till February. And so you don't have the luxury to wait until after the season because you could lose out on an entire recruiting class. I'm not saying it's right to, to whack these guys this early, but certainly I think that's the, the thinking behind it. Yeah, because you want to have a, and if you guys, if anyone doesn't know, uh, I remember Jeff Tedford talking about this new early signing period getting moved up to the first weekend of the bowl games. But if you're one of those teams, you know, if you're a, a Fresno State or a, you know, one of those kinds of teams that plays on that first weekend, which is the same time as the early signing period, that's that's rough for coaches that are coaching in bowls. It's rough for programs that are letting their coaches go after the last game of the season. So having clear direction from the AD at least, you know, resolves a couple of questions on kids that are out there trying to pick a school to go to. But, you know, before we hop into some other questions, do you think Texas Tech did this? I mean, there could be something behind the scenes. Utah State had a lot of things break down before Matt Wells was out of there. Uh, I can't I still can't believe Jordan Love was drafted by the Packers. But uh, do you think that this was a comfortable move because Sonny Cumbie has been there for so long in the past? Was he groomed? Was he brought in as a possible replacement? Do you think it's his job? I think he'll get consideration, but I think the I think the clear cut number one target is Sonny Dykes at SMU. His dad is former tech coach Spike Dykes. Uh, he was he grew up in Lubbock uh, when his dad was coaching there. He's got you know he's been at SMU for a number of years after he left uh, California, and he's got a ton of ties in the state of Texas, and he runs the type of offense that that Texas Tech is you know, known for up-tempo. I actually talked to him last week for a story I'm doing in the next week or so about coaches that use these analytics. They use an analytics service to basically determine based on field position and other factors, whether to go for it on fourth down, whether to, to try an onside kick, what, you know, all these different things. And he, I think he's one of the more aggressive coaches out there and, you know, it's fascinating him to explaining it to me. And he's like, you know, look, once we hit a certain yard line, we, I can tell my offensive coordinator, Hey, you, you got four downs here. So he doesn't have to try to get that 10 yards and three downs. He knows he's got four downs to work with. Sunday's done a tremendous job. They have Houston this week. They've got Cincinnati coming up. If I'm the King at Texas tech, I make a hard, hard run at Sunny Dykes because he just makes too, makes too much sense there. Yeah. That's a really good point that you made about that analytics tool, because now you're seeing a lot more teams and games 
that'll be sitting around third and 16 and you'll see some sort of draw play up the gut, but it's only intended to get eight yards or maybe 10 yards to get closer to that four. Cause you know, it's a four down territory. Exactly. Yeah. Pete, he gave me that exact, exact example. He's like, Brad, if we're, if we're at third and 10, we know we're going forward on fourth down. We don't have to throw a 12 yard pass. We can maybe run a draw. We can do a swing pass. We can maybe get five or six yards. So then on fourth down, it's a lot more manageable. Well, you're killing us in the analytics world when you're supposed to not get to fourth down, but now coaches are planning, calling plays on third down to get to fourth down. So uh, something I'm, I have to monitor in the offseason, how often this is happening. I want to bring up the the Oregon game. Uh, you know, I was on UCLA. I think I think we swept on, on the UCLA portion on the show, on the live show on Saturdays at 1030 a.m. Eastern. I think 14 to zero, I was feeling pretty good. Uh, some adjustments by Cristobal. Listen, I said this before when they beat Ohio State. I don't know why I, I'm not you know, thinking about this more, but they, Crystal Ball is building a team in the trench, especially on the offensive line, that can push teams around on the West Coast. You know, Oregon's remaining schedule, I, this is what I've got projected out. They're going to be minus 22 against Cal. They're going to be minus five against, at Washington. Uh, you know, minus 14 and a half hosting Washington State with their interim coach. And then Utah, huge game at Utah. I project Utah to be favored by three. And then the Civil War is in Autzen, which should be, you know, Oregon minus five. I think, you know, when I talk about the trench and you look at their numbers, 61% success rate on runs, they're averaging 5.1 per five point yards per run. And Travis Dye is the new leader now with the greatest mustache and the greatest fro since uh, Brett McMurphy was in his thirties. I don't know, but the, uh, I'm just, you know, I think that they are built to, to kind of take a hold. And then the defense is what I complained about, but I keep forgetting the fact that Tim DeRuiter will let you have all these yards up until the red zone. And that's when they call the defenses a little bit different. So really good job by Oregon, but I, I think teams that can run like Oregon state can still, you know, give them an issue. What do you think about the ducks and their chances to crash the playoff? Man, I hope you're right, Colin. Cause when we talked about Oregon, you know, after they beat Ohio state, I got a future on Oregon 35 to one to win the national title. That's obviously going to be a big time hedge, but I think if Oregon wins out, they'll, they'll be in that four team mix. I know there's a million different scenarios we can talk about, but one thing that helps them is the selection committee and the, you know, the rankings, the official rankings come out a week from Tuesday and they will consider that, you know what, the only loss Oregon had was against Stanford. I'm sure they will certainly consider that it was a controversial. Okay. Forget it. It was a horrible call, but more importantly, they were without offensive coordinator, Joe Moorhead. And it's the same as if you play a game without a starting quarterback, the committee is supposed to, evaluate the difference between the team without a, a key player and or a key coach. So I don't think they're going to get dinged as much as maybe think people think they will because they lost that Stanford game. With that being said, they absolutely have to win out. There's no other way they can get in there. You know, look, Ohio State keeps keeps thumping people. That's great for Oregon. Yep. You know, that just helps Oregon even more. <laughs> it will get tricky if we get down to a final. The fourth spot is between – 12 and one Oregon and 12 and one Ohio state, both teams are, are conference champions. How much will the committee value head to head over, you know, Ohio state playing more ranked teams. The only people that have that answer are the 13 people on the committee. So it's impossible to figure it out. So don't, don't waste, don't waste your time. I can feel the, the people I follow that are PAC 12 alums, PAC 12 former players that are on my timeline they always have this feeling that the the Pac-12 teams know how to screw it up right before, you know, like they're about to finally make the playoff. And then, you know, they think of Utah a couple of years ago. So 
you know, the fact that Oregon has to play Utah and then might eventually could play them or Arizona State in the championship game, and they got to get through Oregon State. So we're definitely not in the clear, but I think you're right. A one-loss Oregon is, is a shoe-in to make the playoff, especially if Ohio State keeps thumping people and if they win the Big Ten. Um, we'll move on to, you know, Pitt. Pitt beats Clemson, which is a signature game. Narduzzi's handing out Sharpies. Uh, you know, a potential game with Wake, could send an undefeated Demon Deacons or a one-loss pit who lost to a Mac school uh, to the committee uh, for consideration to make the playoff. The defense for Pitt has been tremendous. They, they've allowed just five of 97 drives to be methodical. And what that means is 10-plus plays in the drive. That It's really an impressive stat. Uh, hypothetically, are you taking – Let's just play hypotheticals here real quick. I, I can't wait for the playoff rankings to come out next week because then we don't have to play hypotheticals. We can play real life. But if Georgia loses to Alabama in the SEC championship game, are you taking a one-loss Georgia or an ACC champion pit with a one-loss? Uh, I'll say this. I would take Georgia, and I think the, what's more important, I think the committee would take Georgia. And here's why. If Pitt – runs a table 12 and one. If Georgia loses to Alabama in the SEC title game, as long as it's not a Ohio state, Wisconsin conference title game where Alabama wins by 50, but I don't, I don't expect that to happen. You look at the two resumes and if you do the blind resume, whatever, I would still give the edge to Georgia. Ironically, Georgia will only have one win against a current top 25 team. And that's if they stay in there and that's at Auburn, Arkansas, may not be ranked. Clemson definitely won't be ranked. Florida, Georgia beats Florida this week in Jacksonville. They're, Florida's not going to be ranked. And then you lose to Alabama. So that's not a great resume, but they've just dominated so many teams. And then you look at Pitt. They'll have a win at Tennessee, which Georgia would also have. Uh, then their wins are at Virginia Tech. They would have also beat Clemson at home. They would have beat Miami. And then they would have beat Wake in the ACC title game. Wake probably sh- will be ranked. And then that loss to Western Michigan. So they both have one win against what would appear top 20, a top 25 team. Pitt's loss is a billion times worse than Georgia's. And I think because of that, even though Pitt won the ACC, we saw one year Penn State won the Big Ten and didn't get in. I think the same thing would happen because the overall schedule does not stack up with Georgia's, which will send all the ACC fans in a tizzy because their champion – does not get in with one loss, but I think that's that could happen if if Georgia finishes twelve and one and Alabama wins the SEC at twelve and one. Yeah, if you're out there considering a pit ticket, just listen to what Brett had to say. Yeah, there's way too many hurdles here. So Washington State athletic director elected to fire Nick Rolovich for not getting his vaccine, and then there was the whole religious exemption, him being Catholic. Uh, I'm Catholic, but I didn't. I got my vaccine uh, along, <laughs> along with half the staff uh, got whacked. Uh, I was actually a little bit impressed that Washington state scored about the same amount of points as BYU in this game this past weekend. I, I know the BYU is playing like their eighth consecutive game. So I, I, they've got to be getting run a little tired, but uh, what the point I'm trying to get at is now Brian Harson today in his press conference on Monday mentioned that he would not discuss anyone's vaccine status on the team, including my own. Is not getting your vaccine now a fireable offense, and can it happen in the SEC? You know, it can it can happen anywhere, and I think it's based on what the the policy of the school, the policy of the state. But bottom line is, if your employer tells you you've got to have a vaccine and you don't, then you should expect to be fired. And I think it's that simple. Is Auburn to that point yet? I don't know. We certainly could find out, and 
we've already seen one coach fired because of it. Will we, will we see another? All right. It's a bit of news. The round table continues. Old Dominion, Marshall, Southern Miss, James Madison headed to the Sun Belt. Are we finally done in the 2021 calendar year <laughs> with realignment? <laughs> no freaking way. I can't keep up with it. Can you help me here? Uh, well, first, a little quick question for you. How many, what's the greater number? The number of points scored only in the nine overtimes between Illinois and Penn State or the number of schools that have currently changed conferences? So for the record, I think it's 18 points, right? Correct. For the, yep. for the overtime. And then we've got OU and Texas is two. And then we've got at least six, I think, AAC, CUSA. All right. I was going to say 16, but I, I think this Sun Belt, correct me if I'm wrong, does this Sun Belt push it up to 20? Actually, no, it's 16 because you forgot. Oh. You, good job. You forgot the four schools that are going to the American. We will exceed the 16 because Conference USA, or as I fondly call them, Conference DOA, they have gone from a 14-team conference to a five-team conference. They have to add three more schools to remain an FBS conference. Where do they go? UMass, <laughs> UConn, <laughs> New Mexico State. Uh, it's so bad that, you know, sources told me that Liberty, who was intrigued by joining Conference USA just a week ago, now thinks they're better off remaining an independent than being paired up with those schools. Conference USA also could look at a number of S FCS schools in the state of Texas that may make the jump up to FBS. But, um, you know, look, it, it's unfortunate. I, I hate that it's happening, but um, it's the reality of, of college football. And when OU and Texas made their decision, and I know why they did it, and I agree it was a good move for them, but it had obviously a lot of unintended consequences. And now it's trickled all the way down to Conference USA, and it may ultimately kill the league. We'll have to find out if they're able to find some replacements. Uh, poor, poor conference USA, because that was one of the more fun leagues to ever bet on like the whack, which is gone now too. But if James Madison is going to leave FCS where you're a powerhouse and you're in the playoffs generally, and you've won a national championship there, why can't conference USA go knock on the door of say Idaho? They went down for, they relegated themselves for a reason. What about North Dakota state? What about the Jacks? What about South Dakota state? Why can you, is it that easy? Well, it's that easy, but the schools have to want to do it. I mean, look, Idaho was Idaho was in the FBS and they made the decision on their own to drop to FCS because when you're at that level, you don't have the multi, you know, dozens of millions of dollars in your media rights deal per school that the power five schools get, or even the group five schools get. So like basically conference USA, I believe is getting about a million dollars per school per year in their current media rights deal. By comparison, the SEC is getting, getting over 60 million per school per year. So if you're at the FCS level, is it worth it to make the move up to FBS if you're only going to get about a million? Obviously, Conference USA is going to get a lot of exit fee revenue from the schools that are leaving, but that's not, not sustainable. That, that goes away after you divide all that up and it goes away. It's not, it's not a never-ending fire hose of money. So they have to make a decision. If you're North Dakota State, how much, how much more in travel are you going to spend? If you're playing in a conference that goes as far west as UTEP or New Mexico State and as far east as Miami and if with Florida International. You know, that's a big consideration. So, yeah, it's as simple as, hey, do you want to join our league? But it's not always automatically like, yes, we want to do it. And that's why Idaho dropped from FBS to FCS. 
they were not making enough money to stay afloat and be competitive at the FBS level. So they dropped down to FCS where you offer fewer scholarships. So that costs less money. Um, you know, travel is usually a smaller budget because you're playing teams that are more in your region than flying all over the country. And, you know, it's, that's the thing with Conference USA. It's not automatic. They're going to have all these schools that will jump to get in Conference USA because the, 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 money, the media rights deal isn't there. All right. So one last question here before we move on, Brett. USC didn't really show up to Notre Dame. You can blame it on a bye week. You can blame it on Notre Dame's defense. They didn't show up at all. Is this a team to bet against for the rest of the season when everybody on the staff is pretty much going to be fired and let go? Maybe with with Dante Williams being like one of the best recruiters in the nation, he'll, you know, handpicked to have this interim role, which means something that'll probably be kept around for the new staff, whoever comes in. The players probably have no direction. The players are working with coaches that just had a bye week and probably came back with nothing for them, and that shows in the 16 points. Is USC a bet-against team for the rest of the season? Is just lame duck coaching staff, lame duck players thinking of their own interests in the city of Los Angeles? Uh, This has to be a bet-against team for the rest of the season, correct? Yeah, I would think so. You get to the point where, you know, you don't know if you're you're even going to go to a bowl game at this point. Uh, I know I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, you know, when's the last time USC, LSU, Miami, I'll throw in another team with that group, Nebraska. All four of those schools did not go to a bowl game. You have to go all the way back to 1960 when none of those schools went to a bowl game. And then also if you're, if you're USC and you're competing to play in Sun Bowl, the Holiday Bowl, the Los Angeles Bowl, First Responder Bowl, are you really, if you're at USC, are you really going to be jacked up to play in that game? Absolutely not. I and mean, if you have any pro potential, you are going to go, you're not going to play in the bowl game. You're going to start getting ready for the NFL. I actually talked to a, a bowl executive today about that. He said the biggest thing that will he thinks will kill the bowls once we get to a 12-team college football playoff is not the 12-team playoff. It's the fact that if teams are not, if schools are not in that 12-team playoff, their players are basically going to check out. They're going to say, look, I'm not playing in the in the Gasparilla Bowl. I'm not playing in the first responder bowl. I'm going to start getting ready for the NFL. And so, you know, are you going to have enough quality play? I mean, you'll have enough players, but will you have enough quality players to to play uh to play in a bowl? And uh speaking of USC, Colin, uh, just as we were doing this podcast, so last week <laughs> when we're doing the podcast, the news breaks that Nick Rolovich has been fired at Washington State. So that was fun to see when we got off the air. Uh, while we're while we're actually doing the podcast, I've got a text from a source that tells me that former NFL coach Jeff Fisher, a USC alum, is in the mix for the Trojans coaching position. And earlier Monday, former USC quarterback Carson Palmer was on the Dan Patrick show and said he thought the candidates included Penn State's James Franklin, Iowa State's Matt Campbell, Cincinnati's Luke Fickle, and also threw in Steelers coach Mike Tomlin. So things are about to get very, very interesting uh, out west with the Trojans. But, you know, Jeff Fisher coming home, who knows? At this point, I'd say I'd say anything's anything's possible. And the one unknown is how quickly how quickly does USC want to move on this? Well, it's very interesting because, uh, you know, uh, 
Steve Adazio is uh, Mr. Six and Six, and Jeff Fisher is Mr. Eight and Eight, but it's impossible to go eight and eight in college football. So it should be interesting <laughs> to see how he takes that job. I mean, you'd think he knows the area from coaching in the area. I mean, that's probably a leg up for him. The Tomlin thing is completely out of left field. Uh, he's gainfully employed right now, but you got to wonder with Big Ben's and that roster turnover if he's thinking about making a move. But uh, uh, USC is a job and a half just uh, from recruiting the state of California and what they've lost there. I mean, that's they've they've got to get back on top as far as that. So uh, very interesting name. Jeff Fisher, breaking news from sources himself. There you go. All right, let's move into our segment, the AP Top 25 versus the Action Network Top 25. Well, Brett, I gotta, I'd like to say that you and I are uh, doing pretty well since our number one and number two teams agree, but I have Florida in the top 10 and you didn't even rank them in the AP vote. Is there just... Too many losses there. Uh, don't see them getting up off the mat, or we got to fire Grantham to get you to get back in their good graces to get them in the top 25. Unlike you, Colin, I actually penalize teams when they lose games. <laughs> I'm waiting for Florida to lose a close game to Georgia, and you move them up two spots. But uh, speaking of Florida and Georgia, so I live in I live in Tampa. I've been here forever, and I've covered my share of Florida Georgia games. It's always Halloween weekend in Jacksonville, the world's largest cocktail party. There's one specific game that really stands out to me, and that was way back in 1996. You probably weren't even born yet, Colin, but Florida was ranked number one in the country. Georgia was a 500 team. Florida was a 33-and-a-half-point favorite, neutral site in Jacksonville, monster number. So a buddy of mine had substantial amount of uh, interest in Georgia plus 33-and-a-half. So entering the fourth quarter, Florida's up 34 to seven. They've dom- dominated the whole whole game. They go on this 60-yard drive in the final uh, two minutes, capped by a field goal to make it 40 to seven. So he's he's fine. They're getting 33 and a half. So Florida's going to kick off to Georgia. We get in the we're in the press box. We get in the elevator to go down to the field. And as we're going down the elevator, you hear this huge roar, and we're like, "Oh no, what's that?" <laughs> sure enough. Georgia fumbled. Florida gets the ball on the 14-yard line with two minutes to go. And, of course, Steve, Stephen O. Spurrier, the head ball coach, throws on the first play into the end zone, touchdown Gators. Florida wins 47-7. to My buddy was crushed, to say the least. So keep that in mind if you're playing Florida this week. If Georgia's up by 10, Kirby's going to put his foot on the pedal. Because these teams hate each other. They're going to run it up. And that's Spurrier hates Georgia more than anything. You know, most coaches would have took two knees, not Spurrier. So be careful if you have Florida this weekend. Oh, my gosh. These teams hate each other so much. Can we call it the cocktail party anymore? Everything's been canceled. We can call it whatever we want. We can call it, yes. What are people going to say? Stop calling. It's the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. Yeah. There's a reason this game's played at 3.30. Every year, because if they had it at night, it would be dangerous. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Spurrier. He obviously knows what the spread is, because in 1996, uh, I believe I exited Razorback Stadium in a 42 to seven loss. Uh, He scored 28 unanswered points just to run up the score. Uh, And Danny Werfel had me doing laundry uh, for the rest of the night, paying out bets inside of Walton Hall. I'll be having a cocktail myself when this game's going on. So. Brett, you and I agree on our Georgia-Alabama rankings, but the AP voters, they have Cincinnati at number two. I make Georgia a 13.5-point favorite over the Bearcats on a neutral site. What is the college football playoff ceiling for Cincinnati considering SMU is the only ranked team before the AAC championship? What's the ceiling 
for this team when the first rankings come out next week? I think the committee puts him at three or four. I don't think they put him at two. I don't know who they're going to put it to. I think the highest they put him at is three or four. If they put him at number two, they're going to get boxed in. Right. If you got him at two, you keep him at two. They went out. I mean, of course, they can drop him. But one thing for people to keep in mind, and I, I say this as loud and as often as I can, when the rankings come out next, next Tuesday, keep in mind that they are absolutely meaningless. <laughs> and by that, it's because the rankings do not matter until we get to the final ranking. And the committee says they do the rankings based on, they do a new set of rankings every week. So even, and I've gone through the mock process a couple of times. So even if last week you had, we'll say Georgia one, Cincy two, Ohio state three, whatever, when you start over next week, it's a clean slate. Um, So that's, what's kind of fascinating about this whole deal. So if you don't think they'll jump teams around in that final week, then just call Baylor TCU because they plummeted in that first year of the playoff in 2014, they were in the top four. I think, um, I think it was Baylor one. TCU is number three. Yeah, TCU won 40-something to three, and they dropped to number six. Yeah, if so, if anybody wants to know how Stucky and I's relationship was born, it was because in 2014, I had a 630-to-1 ticket on TCU. Stucky held a 30-to-1 ticket on Ohio State. TCU wins by 52 points, I think, in the final game, and yep. they got chucked out of the top four. And uh, to this day, I'm still a little raw about that seven years later, so... Uh, I think we need to talk about Michigan. I mean, obviously there's going to be still be an undefeated team here when Michigan plays Michigan state, they're down to 11 in my power ratings. I would make them a 16 and a half point underdog. If they face Georgia on a neutral, uh, you have the Wolverines number five, you have Sparty at number eight. Does the winner of this game hop Cincinnati in next in the committee's eyes in next week's college football playoff ranking? I don't think so, Colin. And I, I'm sure they will deny that they do this, but I would probably do this if it was me you're looking at Michigan, Michigan state winner and saying, okay, you need to move them up, but you know what? They're fine where they are because if they beat Ohio state, they're going to jump over Cincinnati. You know, Notre Dame still no respect in the action network power ratings, uh, but with one loss and looking at a new year's six, I believe you have them in the peach bowl, uh, current eight AP rank of 11th. Is it safe to pencil the Irish into the Chick-fil-A peach bowl and you have them playing pit? Uh, the point spread would be a pick. But when you look at the, the Irish remaining schedule, uh, it looks like we're pretty much a lock, right? And, and, and the Peach Bowl is the one that kind of gets the at-large. It doesn't have a bowl tie-in. So definitely the Peach right. is it's an It's an at-large. And why, why Pitt's in it is because the ACC champion, because the Orange Bowl hosts one of the, the semifinals, uh, the ACC champion is guaranteed a spot in one of the New Year's Six games. All of the new – the only available New Year's Six games – are the Fiesta Bowl and the Peach Bowl. And the Fiesta Bowl is going to get Cincinnati unless Cincinnati gets into the playoff and then the group of five will not get another team in the mix. So that could that could change. But um, with Cincinnati being in the Fiesta, Notre Dame can't play in the Fiesta because they already played Cincinnati. So that's why I've got Notre Dame to the to the Peach Bowl. And so that leaves the the winner of the G5 that goes out to the Fiesta Bowl Right now you have Cincinnati and and Ole Miss playing there. Cincinnati would be favored by two on a neutral site for me. I'm dying for Notre Dame to lose a game so we could just put them in what is all perfect in the world, the Fenway Bowl. I'm not sure what the Fenway Bowl is. They wouldn't drop that far. But if they win win out and they've got 
you know, they've got North Carolina this week, but then obviously some some news for Notre Dame. Their star Kyle Hamilton is out yep. with the right knee injury. And you're playing, uh, you know, playing a team that likes to sling it around. But you look at the rest of the schedule, Navy at Virginia. Virginia can put up some points. Georgia Tech, yeah, yeah, at Stanford. I mean, they can win out. If they don't win out, they're not going to be in a New Year's Six. So they would only drop to like the Citrus Bowl or something. So they would have to lose like two or three to drop all the way to the Fenway Bowl. Because, sorry, Colin, they are still Notre Dame. And bowls love to have Notre Dame. Yeah, speaking of that, for everybody listening, if I have not put it in the app yet, uh, Notre Dame, North Carolina over a huge play without Kyle Hamilton there. And now as a quick reminder to our listeners, the Big Bets on Campus is presented by WinBet Sportsbook, and they've got a brand new sign-up offer for you guys. Bet $1 on any team and win $100 if that team scores a touchdown. That's right. All you have to do is open a new WinBet account, deposit $20 or more, and bet $1 on any team within your first 10 days. If that team scores a touchdown, you win $100. Doesn't matter if you bet Alabama or Ohio State or even San Diego State. As long as they score a touchdown, which San Diego State could probably do, that's $100 to you. So if you haven't signed up for WinBet Sportsbook, take advantage of this offer today by clicking on the Action Network link in this episode description. Must be 21 or older to gamble. Know when to stop before you start. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, let's get back to the show. All right, it's time for the Heisman Handicap. This is your Heisman Handicap. The Heisman Trophy is awarded to... All right, these odds are via win bet. Not much movement here. I mean, Matt Corral did play. We got Bryce Young plus 150, Matt Corral plus 250, CJ Stroud. You and I were talking about him since before 15 to 1, down to 4 to 1. Uh, some of the best odds uh, per PFF. Desmond Ritter, 20 to 1. Bajon Robinson, 40. Brian Robinson Jr., 60. No way. Zamir White, 100. Then it gets a little diluted. I think we're at the point where are we looking for one of these guys in the top three to just take it? Are we looking for CJ Stroud, Matt Corral, and Bryce Young to just take it? And then I have to ask does Ole Miss not ever having a Heisman winner hurt Matt Corral? Because, you know, Alabama's had only three previous winners. CJ Stroud's had seven. Does it help or hurt, or does it not matter that Matt Corral's at Ole Miss? Uh, I think it helps because you're you've got Lane Kiffin, you got the popcorn, you got the the you know high potent offense. I think it's very simple for Matt Corral at Auburn this week, A and M at home in two weeks. Uh, they should be okay at Mississippi State in the Egg Bowl, but as we know, anything expect anything to happen in that game. If Ole Miss runs the table, I think Matt Corral's got an incredible shot to win this thing. If they lose two of their last five, I think he filters down. I know we've talked about it before. I still think it's a team award. And I think it'll it'll basically boil down to if Alabama wins out, wins the SEC title, Bryce Young has a big game. He will win it if they lose to Georgia. C.J. Stroud leads the Buckeyes to Big Ten championship, and he can put up some big numbers. Then I think then I think he'll win it. Um, you're right. We talked about you know if, if we just do what we say, <laughs> we'd be sitting here with a great ticket on C.J. Stroud. But I think it's Colin. I think it's those three. I don't think anybody else. I know Desmond Ritter. You know, with Cincinnati, yeah. they just again they don't have a schedule that's really going to draw eyeballs to them. There's really nobody else on the list. I think it's I think it's those three, and I think a lot of it's based on how successful those teams are. So if you like any of those numbers, um, I would play it if you think those teams are going to win out. If you don't, if you like a player but you don't think one of those three are going to win out, do not waste your money on a Heisman future, especially this late in the game when you're getting absolutely no value. 
Yeah, and and WinBet does offer uh, who will make the top three. That is something I partook in in, in the summer. I took uh, Desmond Ritter thirty to one to make the top three. Well, you need you need Ole Miss to lose like three games. I do. Uh, Even yeah. if that happens, I think he'll still make it. However, you could get fourteen. You could get four players in New York. There's no limit on yeah. the number of players, but you can only vote for three players. And I don't want to go on a rant here, so I'll make it very very quick. The Heisman <laughs> needs to change its ballot process. We can only vote for three players. So here's a perfect example. I turn on my ballot and I want to vote for Bryce Young, Matt Corral, CJ Stroud. I can't vote for De- Desmond Ritter. So what happens? Ritter gets left off on a ton of ballots. If you open up the ballots to the top five, then you can get some more players in there. They get recognized where it's Desmond Ritter, Bijan Robinson, Brian Robinson, who, whoever you want. I've actually reached out to the Heisman about this. I've suggested it. I've, you know, they said, thank you, but no, thank you. (laughs) We do things a certain way. We've been doing it a hundred years longer than you've been alive. So, you know, go back to your little action network gig and leave us alone. One reason they don't want to do it is because of historical context. They've got all the records of biggest margin of victory, most first place votes, yada, yada, yada. I mean, who freaking cares? You're supposed to promote college football, put five, let us vote for five people on the Heisman ballot. To me, Matt Corral plus 250 doesn't have a lot of value because it's tied to the team. But CJ Stroud at four to one, I think absolutely has a tiny bit of value. And it's the only one on the board that you can bet on right now, period. If you like Bryce Young, I think that plays into our next uh, segment. The college football playoff payoff. Uh, playoff? Don't talk about playoff. You kidding me? Playoff? Uh, these odds via win bet. This is who is going to win the national championship, Alabama or Georgia minus 240 uh, field plus 220. So it's like, if you think Alabama is going to win the national championship or Georgia, like Alabama is plus 240 to win the national title and Bryce Young is plus 150. So I, I know that they're decided at different times. I just think that if Alabama looks the part that, and you think that they're going to beat Georgia in the SEC championship game, which they're, they might need to actually get into the college football playoff then it's much better to take Alabama at plus 240 than it is Bryce Young at plus 150. But some of these odds, you know, Brett, you and I talked about this last week. There's just no value in the Alabama-Georgia minus 240 because if you equate that to a point spread, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. The field has a little bit of value down to about plus 190. So when you look at the rest of the odds, Georgia plus 105, Alabama plus 240, uh, you know, I mean, Alabama has to sweep everything from here on out. Ohio State seven to one still has value. I, I mean, they I, they still have to go through Penn State, uh, I, which I don't think is <laughs> that big of a deal considering you know what, what just happened with Illinois. The fact they lost their one of their best defensive tackles are going to get run all over by Ohio State. Uh, Oklahoma twelve to one. I am a guy that bought Oklahoma preseason, and I'm falling out of love with this team because the defense has been so terrible. How can you let Kansas have this many yards? They got outgained by Kansas. <laughs> and then Cincy 31, Michigan 31, Oregon 61. I think the conversation we need to have is A and B, A, Michigan 30 to 1, B, Oregon at 60 to 1. Now, obviously, Michigan can drop a game, beat Ohio State, and win the Big Ten. There's, there, there is a scenario in which that this could happen. So uh, I feel like Michigan's got way more wiggle room than Oregon. Oregon loses, they're out. They still got Utah, Oregon State. They got a lot going on. But Michigan 30 to one, do you think that, uh, I mean, the schedule, the strength of schedule between Michigan State and Michigan gives me a little bit of trouble handicapping that game this weekend. But is Michigan 30 to one anything you're interested in? I, w- I would look, I would do it this way. And I, I guess I need a calculator and I don't have one right in front of me. 
instead of playing the field at plus 220, what if you put, we'll say 100 for an even number, what if you put 100 on Ohio State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, and Michigan? Now, you, you expose yourself more. You expose right. 400. If Ohio State wins, you win, what, 300? Yeah. 400? Because mm-hmm. you lose your three bets, you win your 700. So you win 400. So you're getting better numbers than the field. If they lose, they lose. I would, I would do that. I would play multiple teams, those four teams. Look, if you get beat by Michigan State or Ole Miss, win the national title, then you know, hats off to Mel Tucker as he goes to his next job next year somewhere else. <laughs> but you know, we we were on this a few weeks ago, and we back then it was like Alabama, Georgia was like minus 120, 125 or whatever. Back then that was an absolute good play. Now at 240, I think there's no value in it. And if you believe somebody other than Georgia and Alabama is going to win the national title, then play the play those four teams, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Cincinnati, Michigan. For this week, we are going to punt on a national championship future, but I guarantee with the college football playoff rankings coming out, we'll be able to find something somewhere. And hopefully we can find somebody to play a little bit of defense like Georgia because it ain't coming from Oklahoma, Ohio State, or Alabama, even Cincinnati getting pushed around by Navy in the end of the game. So no play for us. And one last thing, Colin, I forgot to mention this earlier when we were talking about Notre Dame. Uh, do you know what we're taping this on Monday? Mm-hmm. Do you know what today is? I hope it's not a Catholic holiday or else I'm in trouble. Uh, close. <laughs> it's Brian Kelly's 60th birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. The, the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. And he is the 19th oldest coach in the FBS. So happy birthday to, to Brian Kelly. And then, of course, Halloween. It's the birthday of the goat, Nick Saban. He will be 77 years old on Halloween. Well, happy happy birthday to the executioner and to the goat next week. So, <laughs> executioner. Uh, yeah, you know, I'm in favor of uh, execution. Maybe our entire team needs to be executed after tonight. <laughs> This has been the Big Bets on Campus Sources Edition. Tomorrow afternoon, you can hear our group of five experts, Mike Ionello and Mike Calabrese, on our G5 Deep Dive episode. And late, late Thursday night, Stucky and I will return for our Week 9 betting preview, all right here on the BBOC podcast. Brett has to go back to finding out who's going to get fired next, and especially if Tomlin's going to leave the Steelers and go take the USC job. And I have to get back to watching his screen uh, so I can get some more bets on some San Diego State overs. Thanks for joining me, Brett. See everybody at the window. <laughs>